Good morning, Mount Horeb. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I just wanted you to know I was 100% on every single one of those, but I also saw it at 9 o'clock, so I cheated. But great job for many of you here in the room. What a great way to start our morning together as we come together to open the scriptures to allow God to teach us something new today on this Valentine's Day, the day of love. No, I know there may be some husbands in the room who are right now like, I knew something was going on today. We'll keep it between us, but you're welcome. You have the rest of the day to make it special, so make sure you do so. Now, I, wanna, I just want to recognize this morning that this is a day that can be very polarizing for a lot of people. I mean, maybe some this morning, I mean, you love Valentine's Day. You live for Valentine's. You love love. You love being in love. But maybe for some of us this morning, this is a really painful time. It's a difficult day, and we'd rather just skip over this day today. But I want to let you know that what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to open up into the scriptures today, has something to say to all of us. No matter where we find ourselves within our current situation, what relationships we have or don't have, I really believe what God is going to say to us today could be something that can help us grow. Now, anybody in the room this morning who has kids, you know this past week has been of a, a difficult day of decisions to be made, right? Like what cards to buy to take to school for all the classmates? What kind of box to make, you know, this week for Valentine's Day? My son said, listen, our teacher gave me a, a brown bag and we we're supposed to decorate it. I just, this is verbatim. I decided to go classic and just wrap my name on it. I was like, that's good for you, dude. Candy, no candy, all these decisions to be made this week. It was a difficult week for maybe for some of us. But for me, as an elementary kid, Valentine's Day was my jam. I loved Valentine's Day. It was like my favorite day of the year because you got to come into school, and typically you didn't do anything that day anyway. You just got to have a lot of fun. And we were always you know, tasked with this job of making a really cool-looking box to bring into the school for people to drop the stuff in. So everybody worked really hard to make boxes out of spray paint and you know, duct tape and construction paper and markers and whatnot. And there was always that one kid in class, you know, whose parents like totally made his box for him. And he comes in, it's all bedazzled, looking like a treasure chest. And you're like, right, Johnny, you can't tie your shoes, but you made this by yourself. And he sets it right there next to everybody's. And we all took pride in our boxes. Everybody worked hard for the boxes. But I was less concerned about what my box looked like. And I was, I had a lot of anxiety. I, I lost sleep over what cards I was going to buy. Like what cards to get and what to write on said card was something that I thought about a lot. Because there's a lot writing on this, Right. 20 kids in my class, three of them I was hoping was going to give me something back as I gave them something, you know? And so I remember thinking about this really hard. For some people, it was really, really easy. So it was like, you know, dear Cody, you smell like B.O. Happy Valentine's Day. You know, that, that was the easy one. But then it was like, Katie, like, how do I write something so profound, so perfect, so beautiful that I could win her heart on this one card? And which card do I pick? Like the Ninja Turtle card that says you're totally awesome? Or the one with all the cats on it that's like, you're perfect. You know, like that's, that's a lot of decisions to make. It's a lot of pressure on a day like today. And I think the fact that we even have a culture that has a holiday like Valentine's Day says something a lot about us. And I think what it, what it, what it kind of strikes the nerve of is no matter who we are this morning here in this room or who are watching online, every one of us in the end, we long to love and we long to be loved. We all want to love and we want to be loved. And there may be some people in here this morning that you're like, I don't need any love. Like I, I'm fine on my own. But deep down, we all want to love. We all, we all want to be loved by somebody. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that people care. We want to know that, that we have value. Now, today, we are going to be talking about romantic relationships. We're going to be, I heard you. We're going to be talking about couples, dating couples, married couples, engaged couples, because we have to. It's incredibly important this morning that we talk about these particular things. 
But I also realize that in the room this morning, that doesn't define everybody. I and mean, a lot of us are in different places. And so I just want to let you know that today, as we talk about these things, because we really, really need to, if you are someone in the room this morning who wants a relationship in the future of some kind, what we're going to talk about today is also defining for you as well. And if you're someone today who's, who's single and you have friendships and relationships around you, the same protocol is true as well. Everything we're going to talk about today is no secret. We're just not very good at it. None of this is a secret. It's something that God has given us already. But successful friendships, successful dating relationships, successful marriages are all made of the same stuff. So as we talk this morning, my hope would be that wherever you find yourself relationally today, that you can learn something new that God might shape you and mold you into the person that he wants you to be, that you might have relationships that are maybe more healthy than they are today. See, what's happening within our culture today when it comes to marriages specifically, there are odds that I believe God wants us to beat. There are odds that are not good. Different organizations, particularly the Barner Group, claims that somewhere between 40 to 50% of all marriages ultimately end in divorce or separation. 40 to 50%. Not only that, but the average marriage in the United States today lasts about eight years. The average marriage. A Pew Research study shows also that cohabitation is on the rise 30% since 2006. And some of these stats are the kinds of things that I believe God wants us to speak about today and learn something new about today. We, we all long to, to love and we all long to be loved, but the problem is we're just not very good at it in and of ourselves. We don't have the proper tools to be able to do this the way that God wants us to do this. And so I'm only speaking from past experience that very often we leave trails of dysfunction and trails of destruction when it comes to relationships because we don't treat them, every, any relationship, the way we're supposed to. We don't handle our dating relationships well. We don't treat people in friendships the way we should. We don't go about our marriages the way God wants us to. And the thing is that no relationship in this room this morning or who are watching online, there's no relationship that doesn't somehow have collateral damage when it doesn't go well. Oftentimes, children are involved, families are involved, friendships are involved. It's far-reaching. So it's something we must discuss today, something we must look into. And the good news is this. The scriptures give us principles that we can live in our life to experience better relationships across the board. And so this morning, we're going to go to the Bible, to the author of love, the originator of romance, and find out what God has created us for in relationship. At the most basic level, God has built us inside of us, in our very DNA, to want to relate to other people. Friendship was not our idea. It was God's idea first, that we would have a relationship with people around us. The covenant of marriage was not our idea. It was God's idea first. And so unfortunately, we have taken both of these things, and in some ways, we've done a lot of damage by the way we've not done them well. So we can find instruction from Scripture to help us. Part of where we have to start today is just recognize that we've not done this well, God. Would you please help us do this better? To really understand God's intention for relationships, God's intention for romance, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, the very first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Now, the first two chapters of the book of Genesis tell this story about how God created all things. Now, I want to be clear with you. This is not a science textbook, okay? These were folks writing this a very, very long time ago, but trying to express about what this God was like, the creative nature of this God. And so the story goes in chapter one about six days that this God creates everything that we know and see all around the universe here on earth. On the seventh day, this God rests, creates a rhythm for us in our life. He creates all that we see and know in what is called a Hebrew poem in the first chapter. 
And God, in the very end of this poem, he creates the pinnacle of his creation. In Genesis chapter one, verse 27, here's what it says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So throughout this creation story, in chapter one, we get a piece of it. But in chapter two, there's even more spoken about this, of what this was like, how this went down. You see, in the very beginning, chapter one of the first six uh, days, God creates everything by speaking it into being. He says it and then it happens. And as he speaks it into being, after each thing is created, what does he say? This is good. This is good. So God, he creates heaven and earth. He creates light and separates it from the darkness, creates water and land, creatures in the water, creatures on the land, creatures in the sky. And at each stage, God says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And at the very end, day six, God creates humankind. In verse one, we find out in in verse 27, chapter one, God creates the male and female. And after he creates them, he says, not only is it good, but it is very good, very good. It's the created order. And in chapter two, we find out other things as well because there's one thing that God says is not good after he creates man. What does he say? It is not good that man should be alone. So the Bible says that God creates for him a a suitable helper in verse 18, a suitable helper. Now these two words I've been studying all week long have blown my mind. Suitable helper. First, I wanna look at the Hebrew word helper. This word, the other places that it is used, it's always directed towards God that God is our helper in relationship to us. Now, clearly this word does not mean subservient in some kind of way, underneath, because God is our helper. What this word literally holds with it is a concept of ideal partnership, ideal partnership, a helper. But before that, he says a suitable helper. Now the word suitable is a very specific Hebrew word as well, and it means this, according to the opposite of him. According to the opposite of him. The idea here is that as God creates male and female, he creates them in such a way where they are an ideal partnership. And they're opposites of one another. They bring something to the table. Their strengths cover each other's weaknesses. They are complementary in nature. You see, all throughout the created order, what we find out is God is creating things that are complementary to one another. You have sky, you have land, you have water, you have land, birds in the sky, fish in the water, animals on the ground, and eventually God creates male and female. It's a reflection of his very nature in creation. It's beautiful, actually. It's beautiful because there's such difference between the feminine spirit and the masculine spirit. And at the most basic level, the physicality between male and female shows this complementary nature. On average, males have more bone density. Males have a higher skeletal muscle mass, among other things. The female body is unique in its ability to create and produce life with some help and also to sustain that life. They're complementary to one another. These differences, though they're hard to name and specify sometimes, if you're married here in the, in the room, you would probably admit with me, we're a little bit different. Some of these differences have to do with how we were created. Some of these differences have to do with our personality, our preferences. When Jen and I got married, we found out pretty quickly there were some differences that we had, some things that were different about each other. I have an internal motor that never really stops. I just kind of continue on. It's hard for me to relax. When we go on vacation, it takes me about three days of the vacation until I'm actually on vacation, you know? My wife is a little bit different. It takes her about three seconds to be on vacation. And she does it well. 
I have a hard time slowing down. For me, work is a way of relaxation. For her, relaxation is a way of relaxation. To go to the beach, for her to sit in a chair in the sun and soak it all in is like the best thing in the world. For me, it just feels like a waste of time. I'm just being honest. I have a hard time. When we first got married, I'll never forget on Saturday mornings, I would come to the room. I'd be like, listen, what are we doing today? What are we, I mean, it's, let's, get, let's get going. We got stuff to do, places to go, things. And I never, my wife would look at me. She's like, listen, it's 7 a.m. I'm drinking coffee and I'm doing nothing this morning. I'm not going anywhere. And we had to realize these could be places of contention for one another. And you name it, there's a lot of places for contention. Or we could see these things as being complimentary to one another. My wife has slowed me down and I have sped her up. We've helped each other. We've seen one another as a complimentary nature that God has created us for. Now, now, maybe you and your relationship, you make decisions really quickly. And maybe your spouse got to think through things for a while. Maybe you love large groups of people. The party's your favorite thing. And for the person you're in a relationship with, it's like punishment to have to go and be at the party. And maybe you're someone who likes to talk things out right here and right now, but for your spouse, it's got to percolate just for a little bit before they can have the discussion. Maybe some of our differences this morning have to do with our maleness or our femaleness, or perhaps it's differences of personality or preference, but God wants to use all of it as a complimentary thing to one another. Like peas and carrots, peanut butter and jelly, ketchup and mustard, bacon and eggs. There are some things that are just better together, and the uniqueness of who we are, male and female, is to work in tandem with one another to create a relationship that honors God and honors people. You see, the way these differences work together to create a deep and meaningful relationship rather than a place of contention and struggle is this, love, love. Now, on Valentine's Day, we talk about this word all the time, don't we? You've probably seen it a million times this week. You've said it a million times, perhaps, this week, love. But I would contend that we say love about everything. And we love everything to the point where it's almost lost its meaning. We love pizza. We love television shows. We love football, amen? We love our pets. We love all these things. We love sunshine. And we love our husband and wife. Hopefully there's a difference here. Hopefully I love Jenna different than I love pepperoni pizza. But it gets mixed messages. I would argue that one of the reasons maybe we have problems in our romance and we don't defeat the odds in our romance is we don't know how to love one another well. We don't know how to do this in a way that honors God and in a way that honors one another. You see, Paul, in his letter written to the Corinthians, he addresses this very thing. This passage is the most classic of all passages. If you've ever been to a wedding before, more than likely, this is the passage that the preacher has read over husband and wife, as they say I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, contextually, I just want to tell you, this particular passage is not about marriage. It is not written specifically about how a husband and wife would love one another. But instead, it is written actually about how people in the church ought to love one another. Paul is writing this to show people here is what love looks like. Here is the standard. So if you're single today, the relationships that you have, friendships, whatever it might be, there's a standard for how we love each other still. If you are engaged today, this is the standard for love, how we love each other well. If you are married today, whether for a short time or a long time, Paul would still say, this is the standard for love. This is what it looks like. So if you're someone who's single today, these things are the things that can help you become the right person before you find the right person. Paul says, listen to this. This is what love looks like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, here's what he says. 
If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am what? Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, then I gain what? Nothing. For three verses, Paul beats this idea to death. He wants to be very, very clear for us today. Listen, if you don't have love, you've got nothing. You could do all the right things. You could speak so eloquently and so passionately, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. You could give all that you have and become so generous, but in the end, you gain nothing. You could have all wisdom, all gifts. You could be the most gifted person in the world, but if you have love, then you have If you don't have love, you have nothing. These three different ways of expressing this, love is the key to developing and sustaining relationships that honor God and honor people. Paul says love has to be a part of this. And I would argue a different kind of love than often we talk about. See, when you read the scriptures and you read the word love, this one word that we translate into love actually may be one of four different Greek words. One of four different words about love because they wanted to express kind of the totality of what love might be. They would use a different word talking about pizza than they would talking about their wife. But in English, it's all translated love. So it's very important for us to look back. What word is Paul using here? What does he mean when he says, if you don't have love, then you have nothing? Paul's using the Greek word agape. Everyone say agape. This particular Greek word is a loaded Greek word. And it literally means selfless, or sacrificial love. Agape love is selfless. It's sacrificial. Agape love will cost us something. Agape love hurts sometimes to do it. Agape love has to be done with intention. This Greek word agape seems to have been virtually a Christian invention. The word almost is non-existent in the Greek culture before the New Testament is written. Agape draws its meaning directly from the revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. Agape love looks like a savior who is crucified to, his, to a cross and gives his life for people who are lost in sin. That's what agape is. It is not a matter, it's a matter of will rather than feeling. It is not a simple attraction or affection Many people have this sense that I'll love the person that I'm in a relationship with as long as they do what they're supposed to do, as long as they play their part. If they play their part, then I can love them. That's easy love. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying this kind of love loves even when the person you're in a relationship with doesn't play their part well. Let's just be honest. We all don't play our part well sometimes. Agape love is the kind of love that is a conscious decision to serve someone else even if it costs us in the process. In his book, Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning tells this really compelling story about a young couple. And in this couple, this relationship, the woman in the relationship, she had been diagnosed with cancer. And there was a tumor in her face that had to be removed, otherwise she was going to die. The doctor said, this is the only chance that we have in in, uh, helping you survive. But the problem is we have to be very diligent, very delicate, because there's a nerve that runs through your face right where this tumor is. And if we're not careful, then in doing this surgery to save your life, it may be severed and it it will cause your face to droop for the rest of your life. It'll cause your face to be broken for the rest of your life. 
but they decided they had to do the surgery. So they did. And this story talks about the doctor as he walks back into the room to bring this woman some bad news. The husband is standing next to her bedside. And the doctor explains that to save her life, they did the surgery. And the good news is she was going to live, but they had to sever the nerve in removing the tumor. Despite all efforts, the nerve was cut. And this woman's face was drooping. Her mouth was broken and misshapen. And the woman asked, will it always be this way? And the doctor said, yes. And before the wife could shed a tear, the husband said, I like it. It's kind of cute. And he bowed down next to the bedside as the doctor said he watched this husband and this young couple take his wife's face in his hands. The doctor said he watched as this young husband broke his lips to match hers and kissed her broken mouth to show her once again their love could still work in the middle of the brokenness. This is agape love. If we're going to beat the odds in our romance, it has to start here. The kind of sacrificial love that a savior would break his body to match our broken body to show us what real life can look like again. That we're willing to give of ourselves in order to love someone else well. A willingness to selflessly, sacrificially break, bend, and lean towards one another to prove that our, our love can work in the middle of the brokenness of the world. See, agape love is the kind of love that gives meaning to every kind of relationship that we exist within. Single, engaged, dating, married. Perhaps the reason that you struggle in some of the friendships that you have. Perhaps the reason that your dating relationships often end when broken hearts. Perhaps the reason your marriage is struggling right now is because you're not willing to give what agape love demands. You're not willing for it to cost you something in this relationship. In the end, I'm convinced of this. We do not fall into love. We commit into love. We don't fall into love. We commit into love. Here's what I mean. We buy into classic Valentine's Day kind of love, Cupid and an arrow, you know, love like the movies, that kind of thing. It's got to look like that or it's not love. Then we've missed the depth of the love the scriptures invite us into. Love is not easy. It's not just about attraction or affection. Those are certainly helpful. They stoke the fire, but eventually that fire goes out. Beauty fades, unless your name is Jenna Miller. You're welcome, honey. Um, so, but the truth is, a lifelong love is one that takes a lot of effort, a lot of intention. To beat eight years and go all the way is not an easy thing to do. Life is not stacked in our favor. We have to use the principles God has given us to be able to live this and to live this well. It's sacrificial. It's selfless. It's commitment. You see this ring on my finger? This ring on my finger says something. And what it says is that I have said I do to Jenna Miller. But it doesn't just say that I've said I do. It says that I've said I don't to every other woman in the world. I've committed and made vows and promises to love her in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, prosperity and adversity. Whatever comes our way, we're in this together. There's a reason that marriage is a covenant that exists between two individuals, between husband and wife, because these vows and these promises are reminiscent of the kind of love that Jesus has for his church. I said it last week, but your marriage is about much more than just some cake, some rings and the Cupid shuffle. Your marriage is about the kingdom of God. And God takes it very seriously. See, after Paul, for three verses, 
pounds this idea that if you don't have love, you have nothing, you have nothing, you have nothing without agape love. Then he says, let me show you what agape love can do. And he begins to list a list of do's and don'ts. Paul's like, listen, if you have agape love, here's the way you can live this out and love one another well, no matter what relationship you're in. Now, it's it's as if that every single one of us has this kind of relational bucket somewhere within us. And we have the ability in whatever relationship we're in to be able to fill that bucket, to fill it by the intentional way that we live, the intentional way that we love, the selfless and sacrificial way that we interact with one another. Paul says this, here's the do's and don'ts. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This is what love looks like when we live with agape, selfless, sacrificial love. See, these are the ways in which Paul says we can beat the odds in our relationships. We can live these things out, make these choices. It's as simple as this, Paul says, but it's also as difficult as this. Do these things and do them in conjunction with agape love. You've got a very good chance for genuine friendship, deep intimacy, because we have a chance to fill the relational buckets that exist within each and every one of us. Paul says, love is patient. Love is patient. See, patience is a loving response to frustration. It's the ability to endure something that you would rather not endure. The the core word to this word patience is the word passion, which literally means suffering. So a love, agape love of patience is one that is long suffering for the sake of the relationship, for the long haul. Paul says love is kind. It's a willingness to bless and improve the life of someone else by the small things that you do. I made a commitment years ago that I was not gonna buy my wife cut flowers, not because you shouldn't, I just have my own thing, because they're dying when I bring them. So I've decided years ago I was gonna buy live flowers, it's gonna be like my thing. Some of you are like, that sounds horrible, and it sometimes is. But I have found when I see an orchid, I buy orchids. My wife's like, I have a garden of orchids. Some of them are very healthy, some of them are very dead, but I continue to buy them and bring them home. It's one way, a simple way for me to show kindness. It says to her, I'm thinking about you today enough that I would purchase this thing and bring it to you. It's small, but a lot of small things add up. Just the other day, my wife texted me and said, listen, I brought something. I put it in your truck. Go out and get it. Came out to the truck and there was a new drink that I like, a new coffee drink. And she had brought it and put it in my truck just because she wanted to. It's a small thing, but the small things add up showing kindness to one another. Agape love sacrificially. Paul says, love does not envy. See, envy is not just wanting what someone else has. Envy is also wishing that person didn't have it themselves. Envy will ruin a relationship. And the only antidote to envy is to celebrate the good fortune of others, including your spouse. Do you have the ability to celebrate the good fortune of those around you? Or does it feel like it's taking something away from you? Paul says, love does not boast. It doesn't say, look how wonderful I am. It says, says, look how wonderful you are. It lifts the other up. Boasting always fails. It may bring temporary satisfaction, but always defaults into insecurity. Paul says, love is not proud. 
A healthy love can laugh at our own flaws and not try to cover them up. Love requires humility because a humble person is one who is so secure in who they are in Christ, they don't need someone else to build them up. But they're happy and willing to flow out to build others around them. Love does not dishonor others. Dishonoring others oftentimes looks like tearing them down to build ourselves up, name-calling, hostile humor, sarcasm. Sarcasm is only funny to the one who's dishing it out. And it's dishonoring. Paul says love is not self-seeking. We're not selfish, but instead our goal is to set ourselves aside to seek to meet the needs of the other through sacrifice and service. Love is not easily angered. Too often with our anger, we try to live in denial. We blame it on someone, something else. I'm, I'm just tired. I'm stressed. I'm overworked. You know, COVID. But it's still an anger problem. And if we suppress it, it explodes. We have to do the hard work of finding the root of anger to be able to become healed and have healthy relationships. Paul says, love does not keep record of wrongs. We will all make mistakes, men. Just kidding. We will all make mistakes. And when we do, we have to be willing to forgive the way Christ Jesus forgave us. If we keep record of wrong, if we keep score, we all lose. Paul says, love rejoices in truth. Honesty and vulnerability is key to agape love. There is no place for secrets that keep harm or break confidence. Love always protects. Love is willing to stand up against anything that might endanger those we care for. To protect the vulnerable, to protect the hearts, those that are fragile. Love always hopes. Agape love is the kind of love that has the audacity to believe that as long as Jesus is involved, nothing is impossible. It believes the best days are ahead of us. And love always endures, Paul says. It's not fighting against one another, it's fighting for one another. It requires unconditional love. Enduring love is almost always impossible unless we invite God to take over. Paul says this is the way that you fill one another's buckets. You choose to intentionally seed this into one another. Patience, kindness. We don't dishonor. We don't become angry. We look out for one another's best interests. That's how we do this. And we're given the opportunity to selflessly and sacrificially do this for one another. But even inside this relational bucket, there's a lot of space still left around every single thing that's put into here. A lot of space to the top. And that is because of this. And I believe scripture tells us this. We are complements to one another, but we do not complete one another. We are complementary to one another, but we do not complete one another. I go back to Genesis chapter two, when God creates man and woman, male and female, forms them out of the dust of the earth, breathes life into them. He says he is, he's filling us with his spirit. If you are expecting the person that you are in relationship with to somehow fulfill all of your deepest needs, your deepest insecurities, your significance, meaning, and purpose, you will always be disappointed. It is not something that they can do. And it's not something that you can do. The only one who can truly, truly fill us. The only one who could fill us in the kind of way, complete us in the kind of way that we can love one another with agape love the way God wants us to is Jesus Christ himself. So what if this morning one of the reasons we struggle so much in beating the odds in our romance and our relationships and our marriage and our friendships is simply because we've never understood that Jesus is the one who completes us. And we keep waiting for that other person to finally do it. 
and we get disappointed and we end this relationship and we end that one because they didn't do it for us. They didn't, they didn't make us feel the way we wanted to, be, wanted to feel. And the problem is that's not their job. It's something they can't carry themselves. I don't care what Tom Cruise says and Jerry Maguire. We do not complete one another. It's not our job. That's called an idol. And it's expecting something that can't possibly be delivered and it's crushing. See, in order to beat the odds, I believe Paul would say it this way in Colossians chapter two, verse nine. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You have been brought to fullness. Some translations say you have, been, you have become complete in Christ. Whatever today you feel like you are lacking, Jesus can offer that to you. Whatever place that you know you are broken, that you know you need healing, that is something that Jesus can do and only Jesus can do. If you're in a dating relationship and you feel that pressure from your, the person you're dating to somehow provide something for them that you know you can't, it's gotta be pointed only to Christ. He completes us. I've told you before, my wife and I recently moved and the house that we just moved from, we had one side of our yard that had a sprinkler system. And so we could run the water and we could get all the grass green and nice and lush. And we built a carport. And when we did, uh, we broke the line that ran to the other side of the yard. So we had one side of our yard that always looked nice, was always watered, always green. But the other side was a mess. The other side was always dry, always crisp. I would walk out with my hose oftentimes and just stand there for like 20 minutes, just like, please, God, don't let it die. And I would try so hard. We, we put grass down a couple times. I've told you my yard was horrible like that. And we just keep, keep trying, keep trying. I put a little sprinkler out there every once in a while trying to keep it going, you know, water bill going up and, and nothing. No matter what we did, it just continued to get dry and continue to die. And I'm convinced of this sometimes in our relationships. We need to understand that the grass is greener where we water it. The grass is greener where you water it, not where you don't get water too. See, some of us, we, we, we have become so convinced that whatever we have in our relationship, dating, engagement, marriage, friendship, we, we look on Instagram, we look on Facebook and all these other people and we're comparing our actual lives, our actual relationships to like everybody else's highlight reel. And they're always doing such nice things. They love each other so much. But if you were to be in that relationship, they would have the same junk that you got. It's just true. But if we convince ourselves that somehow somebody else has something that we don't have, that we're always going to be having our energy, our time, our attention, our affection going someplace else. Not right here. Whatever God has given you right here, water that grass. Spend the energy, the time, the attention, the affection right here and see what God can do. Quit comparing to everything else. God gave you this. And it's a gift if you can see it. And I believe that if we can see ourselves as people who complement one another, not for contention, not for struggle and difficulty, but complementing, if we can see that God has given us the opportunity through the person of Jesus Christ to see what agape love looks like, selfless, sacrificial, if we can work on filling the bucket of our spouse, of the person that we're dating, of our friendships around us, doing more for them than we're expecting back from them, if we can be so filled with the Spirit of God that we don't need anything else from anybody, everything else is icing on the cake, that is where I believe we can have relationships that truly beat the odds. Marriages that truly beat the odds. My heart breaks for our community, for our church, 
on the one thing that I believe God cares most about, how we relate to one another. And for some of us, it's a mess. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. We've been given the tools and the principles to apply to our life so that we can beat the odds. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, here's the truth. I'm first in line. I don't have within me the things that I need to be able to love people the way I should love them. I fall short of that standard over and over and over again. So God, I'm asking you on my behalf and the behalf of others in this room and who are watching online right now, God, would you fill us with your grace and your mercy and your love? Would you so fill us that we would have more than enough to share with those around us? Would you help us to see, God, that you have sacrificed so much for relationship with us and because of that, we can sacrifice as well, selflessly, sacrificially, that we might cultivate a relationship that is real and vibrant and growing. We need you today, God. We cannot do it on our own. So Father, I pray that you bring healing to relationships all over this community, all over this church. Would you do something that only you can do today? We're thankful for you. We need you today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.